Good morning. Open your Bibles, if you will, to Matthew chapter 5 as we move forward in our series on the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, I want us to uh, look uh, at the first beatitude today, blessed are the poor in spirit. Now, I had told my staff, I said, you know, I'm going to break it up into three parts and I will do the first uh, beatitudes, uh, first three beatitudes in the first sermon and so forth and so on. And it happened, okay? Uh, after the notes on the poor in spirit uh, covered an entire page, I decided I probably ought to He's back a little bit. So uh, uh, probably get those who mourn and the meek in next week, perhaps. Uh, but looking today, I've entitled our sermon today, Blessed are the Poor in Spirit. Last week, we introduced um, the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, it's so important for us to realize that this is Jesus preaching, okay? Uh, as we read this text, this is Jesus preaching. And so I want us to, uh, to understand uh, that he is communicating something fantastic. And that is this. He's communicating that his people, his covenant people, uh, the, the people of God, are those who are citizens of the kingdom of God. And here he lines out uh, who we are. Before God. That's what the Beatitudes are. So we're going to look at that today. Jesus' sermon is about Christian living in a kingdom life. Christians living a kingdom life in a fallen world. Uh, we are kingdom citizens, but here we are on this earth as well. And we are to be distinctive as the people of God. We are distinguished in the marks of a kingdom citizen. And we find the marks of kingdom citizen throughout this sermon. This sermon is about God's grace poured out on His people and His people desiring to follow and obey Him. One of the things that we recognize is that the world is indeed fallen, and it seems each day its fallenness grows as nonsensical philosophies and opinions grow more bizarre. In such circumstances, what character should be seen in believers? What character should be seen in kingdom citizens? These marks of a kingdom citizen, we find here the poor in spirit, those who mourn, the meek. These marks are what we are before God in His presence. How do we come into His presence? How do we live in His presence? How do we live in submission to the King? And so I want us to look today and uh, answer this question. What does it mean to be blessed? Everybody asks that question. All right? Everybody asks that question. The other question that people ask is, who is blessed? Is everybody blessed? 
or just some blessed? Who is it that is blessed and that understand the blessing of God? The second thing I want us to look at today, because we're last week I introduced the, the Sermon on the Mount. This week I'm kind of introducing the Beatitudes uh, and bringing one in. The second thing I want us to consider today is Jesus' exposition. How Jesus exposited, that is to take from Scripture and present its truth. And so we want to see Jesus' exposition and that he is expositing Scripture. And then thirdly, I want us to speak of the poor in spirit. What does it mean to be poor in spirit? What does this humility look like? And so, first of all, what does it mean to be blessed? I'm sure y'all hear people all the time respond when you say, hey, how you doing? And they say, I'm blessed. You know, one time, why don't you do this one time, all right? Okay, some of you, I'm looking around, you're not going to do this, okay? That's okay, all right? But one time, why don't you just say, what do you mean by that? What do you mean by I'm blessed? Now, I have a number of books uh, on the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, one of the ones that I'm using right now is by Sinclair Ferguson, uh, Sermon on the Mount. Another one uh, by James Montgomery Boyce. Uh, and then I've got a technical commentary. I'm not even going to tell you the name. It's Matthew. And uh, it, it's incredibly technical. And I try to avoid it if I can. Uh, and the other one is a, an old book that I... I uh, Treasured in my early ministry, Kingdoms in Conflict by Charles Colson. And uh, those are kind of the books that are helping me and informing me. But so many of the books that I have on the Sermon on the Mount talk about this word as being happy. Happy are the poor in spirit. Well, that's a good word, but it doesn't really completely explain what it means to be blessed. Because ribeye steak makes me happy. Okay? I passed by some desserts out there earlier. No, I did not sample them. But looking at them made me happy. Uh, we can use the term happy with, with a lot of things. I think if you put in front of it, divine happiness, we may be getting somewhere. Because it is a joy or happiness that flows from knowing the living God, satisfied in Him and in Him alone. The world looks at those who are blessed. Oftentimes, uh, we, we think of those that are blessed that are wealthy. They have all these riches. I mean, I'm, I'm watching this guy. I can't even remember his name right now because he doesn't impress me as much as uh, he may impress others. But, uh, you know, he's, he's wealthy enough to build his own rocket ship, you know, and go up into space. Um, that does not necessarily bring happiness or that person is not necessarily blessed. Some people look at blessings as those 
uh, people are blessed because they're beautiful. You know, there's a lot of beautiful people in the world. Which stands to reason that there are some that are not so beautiful because you have to have something to compare to, right? And so we think that the beautiful people, well, they're blessed. And the not so beautiful people, isn't that terrible? I'm there, you know, I know. I'm that not so beautiful. Josh tells me all the time. But people that are beautiful, that they're, they're blessed, is what the world thinks. Some people speak of health as blessed. You know, I'm able to do this. I'm able to run. I'm able to stay physically fit. I've had good health my whole life. Obviously, I'm blessed. These would be some of the responses that you would get if you asked, what do you mean by that? Sometimes the world says, well, you know what? I'm in a wonderful marriage and I have a wonderful, loving relationship with my wife or with my husband. And so I'm blessed. Not necessarily. Not according to these Beatitudes. These marks are characteristics of those who are truly blessed. The Bible uh, speaks of this on a regular basis. In Psalm 1, uh, we find that uh, the psalmist writes, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, uh, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scoffers. Listen, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. His delight, his joy. This person is described as blessed, who does not do something and does do something. He delights in the Lord. He finds his delight in the things of God. Something else we need to consider is that the language of blessing uh, has a counterpart. It's called Curse. Bless is the language of covenant. It's the language that God used when he uh, uh, spoke of covenant with Abraham. When he spoke of covenant with Israel. With Abraham, he uh, uh, in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 2, he says this, The Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Later on, we see in Deuteronomy chapter 28 uh, that God uh, uses this same kind of language, talking about, uh, talking, speaking to his covenant people, Israel, at Sinai. There he uh, draws out in 14 verses the ways that he will bless people, the people, if they obey him, if they walk in him. And in the remaining verses, He speaks of the curse that will come upon those who rebel against the living God. 
What we see here then is this covenant between God and His people. His desire to bless His people. We see that the word blessing is more about relationship with God. Our relationship with God. Blessing is being in fellowship with Him. Those who are blessed are those who are in right relationship with the living God. That's where we find our greatest joy, isn't it? In Christ. It's where we find our greatest happiness is in Christ. It's where we find the greatest prize. The glory of God and being with Him. It's having a right relationship with God is what it means to be blessed. And those who have a right relationship with God are certainly blessed. The Westminster Shorter Catechism says, what is the chief end of man? Perhaps you know what that is. The chief end of man is to love God and enjoy Him forever. That's happiness. That's blessedness. That's our greatest desire. John Piper has tweaked it a little bit. The answer, that is. He says that the chief end of man is to love God by enjoying Him forever. That's true too. And so here in the Beatitudes, in these blessed are the poor in spirit, we find this, this joy, this exceeding divine happiness in a right and cohesive and obedient fellowship and relationship with the living God. The Beatitudes are focused on the marks or Characteristics of those who belong to the kingdom of God. They are less about what we do and more about who we are before the living God in His presence. That takes us to the second point because Jesus is expounding out of the text of the Old Testament these truths. These truths, how the Old Testament prophets told us about who we are before God and how we live before God. I want us to take a moment to do that and then move into that first beatitude. But the first thing I want us to see is that Jesus Exposition. It's important to note that his teaching is not extemporaneous. Jesus isn't just coming up with things off the top of his head. Here he is around 30 years old. He's been studying the scriptures his whole life. You say, well, did he really have to study him? He was fully human. He had to, he had to study the scriptures. One of the texts that we find the truths uh, in our 
come from Isaiah 61. It's a text that he quoted uh, when he stood up in the synagogue one day and he asked for the scroll of Isaiah, uh, probably asked for the year of the Lord's favor and or the spirit of the Lord God is upon me. And they handed it to him and he read it. And then after he read it, he sat down and he said, today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Listen to what he says. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that He may be glorified. I'll stop right there. We see Him uh, unpacking, and there in the synagogue, what did He say? He said, I want you to know this This is my ministry. This is what I'm going to be doing. This is going to be fulfilled in your presence, in your time. You're going to see these things happening. But notice he says he's bringing good news to the poor and to bind up the brokenhearted. Notice he he speaks of coming to comfort all who mourn. And now Jesus is going to pour out. What does that mean? Who are the poor. Another text is us, uh, Isaiah 66. You can look there in verse 2. The Lord says, Heaven is my throne, in verse 1, and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me, and what is the place of my rest? Verse 2 All these things my hand has made, and so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one to whom I will look. Did y'all hear what he said? This is the one I'm looking to right here. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. The humble. The poor in spirit. When we come to the living God, when we come before Him in His presence, if we are going to come to Him, we must be poor in spirit. We must be humble. What does it mean to be poor in spirit? He says here, He opened His mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The poor is a class of people. It was then, in a sense, it is now in some societies. The poor uh, were a people uh, in the days of the Old Testament, uh, people in the days of the New Testament as well. God had given instruction to Israel that the poor were to be provided for. 
And one way that they were provided for is that Israel was instructed not to gather everything, but leave the things on the edges so that the poor could come and glean the fields. And through that system, God provided for the feeding of many who were poor. But those who are poor in riches are not necessarily poor in spirit. Because uh, being poor in riches or things can actually harden your heart toward those who have means. Can actually make you embittered toward those who are better off than you. Being impoverished financially, physically, does not necessarily mean that you are poor in spirit. However, we do learn something from the poor. Man, they came to those fields with absolutely nothing. (laughs) They didn't have anything. They may have had some clothes on their backs. They may have had a bag to stuff the the gleanings in, but they came with nothing. So we learn something from the poor in this. That the ones who are poor in spirit come with nothing. They come to God into His presence with nothing. Nothing to offer for a blessing. Nothing to give to God that He would look favorably on us. The poor in spirit walk humbly and come humbly to the living God. To be poor in spirit is to recognize your poverty before the living God. It's to recognize your poverty before God. That you are bankrupt spiritually. You are bankrupt morally. You are bankrupt ethically. In Romans chapter 3, Paul lays out some truths. Saying, quoting, if you will, none is righteous No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. He goes on and describes some more things about our impoverished state and how totally depraved we actually are. I love, however, when he gets over into verse... Uh, chapter 7, that he recognizes something. Man, I, I, I find that I, the things that I want to do, I don't do. And the things I don't want to do, those things I keep on doing. Who will rescue me, he says. Thanks be to God for Jesus Christ. To be poor in spirit is to recognize your poverty before God. To be poor in spirit is to recognize the debt of your sin. 
my sin, my sinfulness creates a debt that must be paid. The debt is because of we have offended and rebelled against a holy God. People speak sometimes not thinking, saying, well, God is unjust in some ways. No, He's not. He's holy, and He's loving, and He's completely just. Well, why does He save some people and not save other people? Because some people submit themselves to the living God and are poor in spirit and humble themselves. And some rebel against the living God. And God is just to repay that rebellion. The truth of the matter is, is that all of us are wretched sinners. If left to yourself, you would not trust in the living God. If left to yourself and God not deliver to us the gospel, not deliver to us the spirit who uh, awakens us to see, you wouldn't seek Him. You would seek your own pleasure. And you would be your own king. And you would serve as your own God. That's how we would be. But God works in such a way to humble us. How does he do that? Man, have you read this lately? It's humbling. It's humbling to find that there's no one who seeks him. That there's no one who is righteous. That there is no one by their own means and their own intellect have discovered the living God. But all have come to know God because of his own revelation. We begin to recognize the debt of our sin. Anybody have any debt? Don't, don't raise your hand. All of us have some debt, don't we? Seems like. Maybe there's some fortunate people who don't owe anybody anything. That's wonderful. But we know that that debt has to be paid. And so what do we do? We work. We work and we labor and we, uh, we, we try to find other jobs where we can pay the debts that we have. So we are free from the one who holds our debt. The one who is our creditor. We want to be free from that. I hope I live long enough to be able to burn a mortgage, you know. That'd be great. I love it to send in the last payment on something. 
I mean, I was excited here a while back, a couple of years ago. Gina said, we just paid the last note on the tractor. It's mine! My tractor. Her tractor too, yeah. We understand how debts pile up. And even how those debts can get out of hand. We have to work to bring them down. But the debt of your sin can do nothing except continue to pile up. You can't pay it off. There is no work that you can do. No righteous thing that you can do. No good efforts of your own will cause God to say, oh, well, yeah, your debt's paid in full. Those who are poor in spirit recognize the depth of the debt that they owe. That the sin of their life, the sin of their nature, the sin they have committed is a rebellion and an offense to a holy God. Some people say, well, you know, I hadn't committed any really big sins like murder. Don't diminish the holiness of God in that way. The breaking of one command of God is enough to give you a sentence in hell for eternity. So what does he say? Blessed are the poor in spirit. They recognize the, their poverty before God. They recognize the debt of their sin. And they recognize the bondage of their spirit. The bondage of our spirit being that by nature we are slaves to sin. And we know we can't defeat it on our own. The poor in spirit come before God recognizing. All these things. I got nothing. Let me give you a couple of examples from Scripture. Turn with me, if you will, to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. You may recognize right off the bat that that is the, uh, the parable of the prodigal son. And this son, of course, asked his father for his inheritance while his dad was alive. Dad, I can't wait for you to die. Give me my money. You know, kind of one of those things. Of course, he went and he squandered all of it. And in verse 17, we find something. But when he came to himself, uh, I think the New American Standard says, came to his senses. He said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. 
He had nothing to bring except shame, except sorrow, except hunger. And there he brought it back to his father. Dad, this is all I have left of the inheritance you gave me. Of the life you gave me. It's all I have left. He was probably in rags. He probably smelt like one of the pigs he was feeding. And what did his father do? He embraced him. He recognized his sinfulness. He recognized his poverty. And he came back to the Father. There's another tale. As Jesus was walking down a road, a Canaanite woman came up to him. And he says, she said, Lord, heal my daughter. He said, don't you know I've come for the lost sheep of Israel? And she said, yes, Lord, but even the dogs... Eat the scraps that fall from the master's table. Jesus, absolutely astonished with her faith, said, go your daughter's well. She knew, I'm not worthy to ask you this. I don't deserve this. I know that you're speaking to your people. But my daughter's dying, dying. The poor in spirit have this desperation. They're just desperate because they know that they have no means of satisfaction, of eternal life, no means of blessing in their own selves. Oh, the world offers us and promises us many things. But after we've invested in them, they disappoint and they fall flat. But Jesus Christ, He fulfills, He saves, He redeems, He makes new, He transforms us, and He causes us to be in this place. Lord, I got nothing to bring. We often think unconsciously, I think, I believe, of blessing as being opposite of unfortunate. You know, it's easy for us to be like the Pharisee who went to pray and there, there was a tax collector over there. And what did that Pharisee pray? God, I thank you that I'm not like this tax collector. He saw himself as blessed because of what he was not. I'm not like this guy. I think the text in 2 Corinthians where Paul says, and such were some of you, ought to be a factor that humbles us. And helps us to recall and remember 
the wretch that we were before God saved us. We don't look at those who are less fortunate or those who have done terrible things. As people who cannot be redeemed. But mostly what we see here is that we need to understand that apart from the living God, we are empty of righteousness. It comes from Him, it comes through His Son. It is His righteousness. Self-sufficiency in many ways is a good thing. You're a parent, you understand this. Your kids grow up and the bill grows in feeding them and clothing them and so forth. You're training them to be self-sufficient in the sense that get off my bank account, right? I ain't lying, you know. Get a job. But self-sufficiency before God is not possible. We're always on His account as believers. As those who are poor in spirit. There is no possibility of self-sufficiency. When it comes to being before the living God. You will only be there. By his invitation. And by his power. By his working in you. No sufficiency of your own. Jesus, after he had ascended, spoke through the Apostle John. And he said, hey, I've got a message for you for these seven churches here. The one at Laodicea, they got a big budget. Laodicea has, you know, a multi-million dollar budget. Man, they've got all the sound and the lights and the video and all these things. They do pyrotechnics in their worship service. We got all this stuff. And they say that they're rich. And Jesus delivered this to them. For I say I am, for you say I am rich. I have prospered. I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. It's coming to realize that we're those things that makes us know we're poor in spirit. Sinclair Ferguson writes, 
The sad truth is that we know so little of the blessing of which Christ speaks and which He gives because we are all too often full of ourselves and our own means of blessing. In fact, there is no sadder commentary on our lack of this spiritual poverty than the readiness so many of us have to let others know what we think. But the man who is poor in spirit is the man who has been silenced by God and seeks only to speak what he has learned in humility from Him. (laughs) There's a lot of ways that we are humbled in this life. But I want you to know without an impoverished spirit, you cannot and you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. To be humble, to be poor in spirit, To know my poverty before God. My bankruptcy. The massive debt owed. And the humility to come to God and say, Lord, it's all I got. Sinner, if you're sitting out there and you're hearing this sermon, I want you to know something. If you're waiting to have something to bring before God, you have all that you can bring already. And that is a load of sin. That's all there is. That's all you got. All you've got to give is sin. And what Jesus wants to do is forgive that sin. He wants to remove that sin as far as the east is from the west. He not merely wants to remove your sin, but I want you to know that He has also taken upon Himself the wrath that you accumulated, the wrath of God that you accumulated against yourself. And Jesus Christ absorbed it on the cross. He bore it. He took it. And I want you to know there's no means of coming to Him except through faith in His Son, Jesus Christ. He is our propitiation. He is our substitute. He is our intercessor. He is our advocate. For those who are in him. Without. Poverty of spirit. He says it there. Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs. And may I emphasize the emphasis that is theirs. Theirs. And only theirs. Is the kingdom of God. Perhaps. Augustus Top Lady says it best in his hymn. You know, go, what's an Augustus Top Lady? It was a guy, and he wrote a hymn, and it's probably my favorite. 
called Rock of Ages. And in one verse, he captures the concept and the thought of one who is poor in spirit before God. And he simply says this. No, I'm not going to sing it. Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress. Helpless look to thee for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. Without poverty of spirit, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Will you humble yourself today and come under the kingdom authority of God? Come under the power of the cross to forgive you and save you. He will do it. Let's pray. Father, we come with gratitude. Humbled. That you would save, that you would redeem the likes of us. We want to thank you, God. That you sent your son into this world to save the ungodly. And such were some of us. But we've been washed, we're being sanctified. Father, I pray, Lord, that you would help those in here. who have not been able to see their sinfulness, to see it today. To see the debt that is owed to a holy God. Father, I pray, Lord, that as believers in Jesus Christ, as citizens of the kingdom of God, we will cling to the cross. And only the cross is our means of salvation, our means of forgiveness, our means, Lord, of living with power and authority over sin. And God, we would put on display the character. An example of Jesus Christ. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.